inspiring you to reach your goals and live your dream. And live your dream. This is the Keaton Nelson Show. All right, guys, welcome back to the Keaton Nelson Show. I am so excited to have David Neagle here on uh, the podcast. David, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So I always like to start off with like, hey, where are you from? Uh, what was life like when you were growing up? Because I think people think successful people just landed where they were, and that is not always the case. So how, how, how was it growing up, man? Well, that was definitely not the case. I was, uh, I'm from Chicago. Um, growing up was uh, very interesting. My parents split up when I was about 13 years old, and I was with my mom and my brother. Um, we didn't have a whole lot of direction in life. And I, I mean, things were okay, but it was definitely not success. We were on the lower end of middle class. Uh, I quit high school when I was 17 years old. I decided to just work and that's, that's what I was doing, but I wasn't getting anywhere. And I got married and he had a couple of kids and I found out really fast that I had created a situation that required more responsibility than I had the ability to live up to. So Woke up one morning and the car was repossessed. Uh, we ended up filing bankruptcy, had to leave our apartment in the middle of the night because they wouldn't let us out of our lease and we couldn't afford to live there. Had to move to a really low-end neighborhood about 60 miles away from where we were living. And I was driving a forklift. It was the only job that I could get. And I, I was struggling like crazy. And so that's in the day before the internet really had taken off. And I, th- I thought to myself, well, if I'm ever going to get out of this, I have to correct the, the decision that I made that wasn't good, which was quit high school. And I need to go back to school. But I didn't have the time or the money to do it. I was working six and a half days a week and I had no money um, and I didn't have any time. And I, so I began to work with my mindset just out of desperation, really out of desperation. Mm-hmm. Like I had a real meltdown one night in the back of a trailer Um And I was, I mean, I was really having a meltdown. I had a a terrible day. I was reprimanded twice before I started work. I couldn't figure out how to get out of this situation. We were, it was just getting worse for a period of two years. And this voice in my head said, David, change your attitude. And I thought to myself, I have no idea why that would make any difference whatsoever. Like, what does my attitude have anything to do with skill set and where I'm working and how that's going to change this situation? I don't know. But I started playing with it and I changed three things in my attitude. And within a month, I tripled my income. And I was so shocked by the by the change that happened in my life that I said, I got to figure out what I did. So I started studying. And one thing led, you know, I started studying probably around 1993. And one of the first things that I did was I went to a Tony Robbins seminar, which kind of really changed my focus because I didn't know that there were that many positive people in the world, to be honest. With you. It was like a huge wake up call. It was, I was, it was exciting and exhilarating on one hand and terrifying on the other, because I'm like, I don't belong here. Um, but life kept getting better. And eventually I met Proctor around 1996 and I started my business in 1999 and it's just continued to grow from there. And it all it all started with changing my mindset and really understanding who I was, understanding business, understanding money, understanding basically everything. I mean, I, I literally had to change almost everything about my mindset from the way that I was raised in order to become successful. So it was a journey. It was a real journey. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's wild. Um, so when you tripled your income in a month, 
how the heck did that happen? Were you driving the forklift then? So yeah, yeah. How so, do you go from that to that? You know what I mean? Exactly right. I mean, yeah. it's a, that's the same question that I had. So what happened was. I would sit down, literally, I would sit down every day for two years at lunch, and I would sit down with a pad of paper and a calculator, and I was trying to figure out how can I earn more money any way that I possibly could. And I tried all different kinds of things. Nothing panned out that well at all. And when I changed when I changed my attitude, I started seeing things differently. I didn't know that I was doing that at the time, by the way, but there was this guy that, that would come and visit our company uh, twice a week. He would come on Tuesdays and Thursday nights. And he drove a fuel truck. And his job was to fill the trucks that we had in the lot. Because I, what I worked for was uh, an international food distributor. It was the largest in the in the country. And this guy would fill the, he would fill the trucks. Uh, and he would fill the refrigerated trailers with diesel fuel. And we used to make fun of him because he, he smelled like diesel fuel. He was always, he was either in the rain or he was out there with the mosquitoes or if it was two feet of snow and 20 below zero, it was Chicago. So we would get everything. Yeah. At least we were on the dock, right? So, but I got to know the guy over a two-year period of time. And when I started to change my attitude, one day out of the blue, he said to me, you don't want to stay here working here for the rest of your life, do you? And I said, no, I don't, I don't like it here at all. He said, why don't you come to work where I'm working? And immediately my mind shut down and I started making him wrong and making fun of him. And I thought he was an idiot. And, and, and the last question, and after I went through this little ramble that I was kind of teasing him, I said, besides that, Drew, how much money could you possibly be making driving that, that, that nasty ass truck? And he said to me, well, last year I made 50,000 and that was in 19, that was in 1993, the beginning of 1993 or no, it was the end of 92. October of 92. He said, last year I made 50000 And I'm like, there's no way you made $50,000 doing this. And he said, well, I'm, next week when I come, I'll show you my pay stub. I'm like, okay, you do that. You, you do that, right? And I'm thinking this guy is just nuts. Like, there's no way. And I'm making 20 with all the overtime I could possibly work. I couldn't get past that number. So he comes next Tuesday, shows me his pay stub, and he wasn't kidding. So I started, so that shifted my mind a little bit. And I started asking him questions. I mean, I had to get past some real fears to do this because I literally viewed what he did as driving a bomb. You know, he carried gas and diesel fuel in a truck. Mm -hmm. And I said to him, I'm like, how dangerous is that? You know, like, has anybody ever died doing that? He goes, oh, yeah. Last year, a guy rolled one over on I-65 in Indiana and burned to death. And I'm like, and you want me to come work for you? Yeah, <laughs> right? sign me up, right? Yeah. So <laughs> I I had to really think about it. And then there was this whole thing about I would go to work for this company. It was uh, it was Teamsters Union. Uh, if I went there, I would start at the bottom of the scale, right? You know, and if they had layoffs, I could get laid off for up to seven months. And I got a family. How am I going to support them? So I had to I had to really work through a lot of uh irrational fears and some real ones in my mind. And I went to work. I went to work there. I took the job 30 days later and instantly my income tripled. Mm. And I thought to myself, here was the kicker. This was the thing. It, it even wasn't so much that my income tripled, although that really woke me up. But it was the idea that this opportunity had been around me for two years and I didn't see it as an opportunity. And I recognized that that was a major issue. And that the, and if I and I really associated that with the change in my mindset. Because what was not a possibility at all in my mind prior to this became a possibility and, and I could see an opportunity and I could step into it. So I thought, what else am I not 
seeing? Like, what else am I not seeing in my life? I had learned really quick that I had been raised in a way to see a life through a very extreme bias. And I, I really could not understand anything else because I couldn't get away from the bias. I didn't even understand the bias that I was stuck in, in almost every area of my life. So I began to study and, and slowly but surely I began to break out of it. I went, I started working in that company as a truck driver. And when I left seven years later, I was in charge of expanding that company across the country. And I never went back to school or anything. It was just all mindset and really, you know, learning how to do business as I went, as I grew, as, as I grew with that company. And then I left and I started my own business. I was so excited by what I learned. And I started helping people just for free on the side that would be asking me questions because they saw the change. Some people were like, what did you do? They take me aside quietly. Like, tell me what you did. And I would start to tell them and they would start making changes and they would have the same result. And I was like, damn it. Why doesn't everybody know about this? Like I thought that I had just discovered the Holy Grail, you it know, did. and I was excited about it. And, uh, and I went and I got mixed with people that knew what they were doing and they taught me and I, then I went out on my own. Very, very cool. Yeah, I, I was just introduced to this stuff um, probably January, February of this year. Um, beginning of this year, I was, my company was losing $6,000 a month. Oh, really? Um, yeah, so we, we went from like 25000 a month. It was a relatively new company, by the way. Um, and then we beginning of the, the year, we lost a bunch of big clients and stuff, probably people reevaluating what they're spending their money on and stuff. Um, and to be honest with you, back then my service offering wasn't that good or sticky enough to keep people around, you know? Yeah. Um, and I'd never thought that I'd be able to offer more and you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Um, now, um, I hit my like three year goal, uh, last month or the month before. Nice. Congratulations. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, just for, it's like, I think it's four X in six months. You know what I mean? Just very, yep. very straightforward. Um, and it, people don't, what do you, what do you say to the person who's like mindsets, woo woo bullshit, you know, complete BS. Well, the thing is, is that mindsets, everything it, it, the way there, it is very true that there's things that you have to do, right? Strategy-wise in your sure. business, structurally, marketing, sales, uh, hiring team, training team, like all of that is absolutely correct. But the way you do any of that has to do with your mindset. It has to do with what you know, how you see the world, how you see, I mean, the beliefs that we're raised with around money alone are so horrific. They keep most people stuck, broke their whole life because they just don't understand money. So- when people say that, I ask them, who taught you that that mindset is woo-woo? Because mindset's behind the greatest sports team, the greatest actors, the greatest actresses. It's Elon Musk. It's Michael Jordan. It's everybody in the world who's ever succeeded any great way. It's Amazon. It's, you know, it's all, that's all mindset. Those things play out in the actual changes that are made physically and, and, and structurally and, and through strategy in our life. But you have to be able to think your way through those things because it's all about procedure and policy and, you know, how you actually see the world and, and the way you actually see business function in order to be able to make something work because it doesn't work on its own. It's not magic. It didn't just show up one day working. You know, there's really something behind it. Mm, big time. Um, so 
I want to I want to know about like the people you work with uh, as far as like clients go and stuff. What do you help them do? What do they come to you struggling with? I'm just interested. Well, they're usually they're usually stuck financially, right? So uh, we work with a lot of professionals, a lot of doctors, a tremendous amount of attorneys. But think about this, right? Attorneys go to school to become really good at law, but they don't know a damn thing about business when they come out. Mm-hmm. So if they don't go to work for a firm, if they want to start their own company. Um, number one, they're immediately learning how to apply a law in a business situation, but they don't know anything about business itself. <clears throat> so one of the issues with professionals is that part of their training when they go to university is to be the best at what they do, right? So there's a lot of a lot built into their ego in the way that they think. And they actually find themselves in this self-imposed trap, which is this. They should be able to figure out business. Business shouldn't be that difficult, and yet they can't, and they don't know why. So many of them stay stuck and broke in what it is that they're what they're doing. Um, but we specifically will market to people in those different industries that are that are stuck and, and having a really difficult time. And then we will show based on the goals that they they want to accomplish, we'll show them how to change it. And usually, one of the first things is how do I get past whatever level that I've settled in financially. Many of them were like you. They're losing money every month. They can't pay the bills. They're robbing from Peter to pay Paul. Like it's it's right. it's just nonsense. It's tearing their marriages apart. All the you know they're stressed out to the max. They're working hundred hours a week. They're not moving the needle at all. And so then we come in and we we quickly evaluate what the problem is and we start getting them in a track where they're earning uh, more money really quick. Usually that's the first thing. Once they see that they can do that. Then it's we get into the team building, marketing strategies, sales strategies, whatever the whatever problem that they're having. I mean, we've worked with almost I can't tell you how many different businesses. There's not too many businesses we haven't worked with in almost 24 years now. We've worked with professional sports teams, actors, actresses, uh, startup companies. Um, uh, you, I mean, politicians. You name it. It across the board, military people, everything. Mm. That persuasion back there. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's a good book, guys. Go check that one out. But um, how do you, how, see. It took Cialdini 30 years to figure that out from his first book, though. And many and of us were doing those things way way before he put it into a book. Unity, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so, Hmm, how do I express this? Because I I've gone through what I'm guessing you you've, you implement right uh, thinking into results. How do how do you help people? Um, how do you help people set goals? Or how would you suggest to a listener who's uh, if they're setting goals this way, they shouldn't be doing it. They should be setting goals this way. Like, what's your advice when it comes to setting goals? Well, the first thing that we do with people is we work with them based on what they really, truly want, which is a big deal because um, most people set goals based on what they think they can accomplish and not what they really want. Most people are raised that way, right? We're not raised in a world where we can have whatever we want. The We do is we do a training called financial set point. And within that training, we teach them that their internal financial set point is usually based on what they need not what they want because they hear that growing up you don't need this you don't need that you know don't don't spend more than you need don't buy more than you need can you get away without needing this or that so everything is on the cheap 
And that causes them to view everything that they're doing in their business from that perspective. Mm -hmm. So they don't know how to use money. They don't know how to leverage money. They don't know how to leverage time, people, information, money in order to be able to do something. So we start very basic with what do you really want? Give yourself permission to want what you want. Tell us what that is. And then we can show you how to actually create that in their life. Because it's interesting, if a person really taps into their desire, like if you go back to the fundamentals of what like Napoleon Hill talked about in Think and Grow Rich, he said something that was extremely important and it just passes by most people's consciousness. You have to have a burning desire, a white hot heat to earn money. Well, it's the same way for anything that you want. If you're doing it just because you think that's the thing that you're supposed to do, you won't have the energy or the excitement or the enthusiasm or the, the ability to problem solve, to be able to get those things if you're just coming from a mediocre kind of lifestyle. That's not how we were raised. If that's going to be your idea, get a job because it doesn't have any any place in business. You, you will fail miserably in business. So it's about what do you want, getting them to express that, to admit it, to give themselves permission to go after it. And then we start to build a structure around that. Whether it's time frame, what do they have to change in their life? What do they have to do? Most of the time, they can't get past the idea that they don't have any money to do the thing that they need to do. And we teach them you don't need the money uh, to start off. You just don't. You think that you do, but you don't need the money. And then how does that money show up based on the decisions that you make? Yeah. It's pretty – like it sounds – for people who are listening and they're just like, no, it doesn't. Like They're, they're stuck in a different mindset or like they – they are working a job or something like that. It's really, really, really easy um, to think that it won't just show up, but it does. It's weird. Yeah. Like, I, I've seen it happen to me too many times <laughs> and others around me. Um, it, it's wild how it, it's you'll you'll it, be wondering where it was the whole time. time. You, you'll be wondering where it was the whole time. You know what I mean? Yep. That's 100 uh, percent true. So. I'm going to move. I'll keep going down this path with you here. Um, why Why do people um, know the right thing to do, but still don't do it anyways? So what I mean by that, I'll give you an example, is let's say that, um, you know, we all know that we got to drink water, eat healthy, exercise and, and do all these things. But why don't we do it? You know what I mean? What What's stopping us there? Well, one of the so uh, many things that we know that we should do, we just don't want to. But we don't want, but we don't have the courage to admit that we don't want to, right? Mm. So you talked about uh, like eating right and working out, being healthy. A lot of people don't want to say the the reason that I don't do this is because I like to eat the wrong foods and I hate working out. That's the real truth when you get to the bottom of it, mm. right? So it's it's what created that paradigm in your life. It doesn't, like when I worked with Proctor, one of the things that he used to say all the time is it doesn't matter. It, you already know what to do. Almost everybody knows what to do. The problem is, is they're not doing it, but they don't know why. It's because a paradigm in their subconscious mind is not letting them break through. The subconscious mind works in a very interesting way because the only thing that it has ever been concerned with in its genetic genius, and it is, it is genius because it does exactly what it's supposed to do, which is to keep us alive and to move to the, move the next generation forward. It's only concerned with us staying alive and procreating. That's it. So all the information that we gather from the moment of conception until our early 20s 
designs a pattern that does one very specific thing. It keeps us in survival mode. So if we didn't have anybody teaching us how to live beyond survival mode, that's the only thing we've ever learned. The subconscious, however, does not know that if you break out of that pattern that you won't die because it was designed to keep you alive. So everything that is a threat that's outside of your subconscious programming, your subconscious thinks, I, we could die. <laughs> you know, I don't know how to deal with, go, with going against this pattern and moving into something that's unknown. We literally could die. So it's fascinating because even though it's not a life and death decision, your subconscious doesn't know that. Mm -hmm. So it has a unique way of hijacking your the way that you view the world and your behavior to bring you right back to whatever pattern it was that you were designed to live with. That And that's the truth. So what we do is we help people break past that based on what it is that they want. We literally will show them after we set a goal, find out what they want, find out what problems that they're having. We will have a meeting with them and say, and and basically what we do is we elicit their sabotage pattern. Everybody has a unique pattern in which your subconscious mind will hijack you and cause you to stop doing what you're doing. But if you know what the pattern is and you know exactly how it works, you can see it ahead of time. Because if you don't see it ahead of time, it'll hijack you emotionally and you'll rationalize the excuses that you make not to move. So in your perception... It's real. Like, there's a real reasons why, you know, my marriage is falling apart. I can't afford to do this business anymore. My wife's going to leave me. That's real to that person. It's really happening. They just don't know how to get around it. And what they don't know is that they were already set up to fail based on the paradigm that's controlling that viewpoint and the reaction to that behavior in their life. So we, we bring all of that out into the open so a person can see it. And then we show them how to get past it as these different paradigms get triggered so that they don't go backwards. Mm. Yeah. So one way that I see this show up in my life or I've seen it showing up is um, like there's many times before I got this, this business actually kind of took off, but um, many times in my life where I wanted to start a business and I'd come up with all the reasons why it wouldn't work. You know what yep. I mean? I'd, yep. I'd, I'd, in, in my thought, I'm like, I'm just uh, poking holes in it so that I don't go down a path of failure. Right. Where what I should have been doing in my knowing now is is I should have been looking for all the reasons why it would work. Exactly. You, you and know I mean? not be afraid of failure because failure gives you real data to make decisions to change and grow. Yes. If you're just playing with ideas in your mind, you're, you're using your imagination to create reasons why it will or will not work. That is not dealing with real life data where you can say, okay, I tried this and it didn't work, but here's what it taught me. So now I can make a different decision based on the reality of the real data that I had. So I can now learn. You know, what's fascinating about that is that's how we learned when we were little kids. Mm. We failed, right? Nobody's, we weren't born walking. Right. And it's the ones it's the one skill that we learned that nobody gave us any negative feedback around, like saying, Oh, forget it. That kid's never gonna walk. His legs are too chubby and they're short. He does no balance, he's never gonna walk. We were encouraged to do that. But the moment that we stepped stepped outside of anything that was comfortable for our parents that we wanted, where we started to express ourselves, they brought us right back into a very narrow view of how to see the world. And they kind of forced us into being replicas of them. So it's not that we don't have what we need inside to break free and do what we're here to do. 
It's that we were so influenced by them, we don't pay attention to it anymore. We've we've denied it in our life. If we can start to accept that again and give ourselves permission to what we want and get past the shame and guilt that we were given to not do that, most of us would be rock stars. Mm, definitely. Uh, what's um, what's something in your life that's that's held you back? Um, or maybe what I find is there's, there's always another ceiling is what I'm noticing, right? Yeah. I brought my business to a certain point, and now I have to go and hire these few employees that really will put some financial strain on the business, but it's going to be the same exact thing that has allows me to open up and reach the new level. But in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, if I fail, if I fail, if I fail, but I, I can, like you said, it's going to be real feedback, so I'll know what to do the next time, and I can move forward. It's not going to go right. up. So like what... What's stopping you now? What's the next ceiling for you now? That's like, is there one? I don't have anything that's stopping me now. Yeah. I did. I did. But you have to understand something. I, when I went into business for myself, I had, I also had to be responsible for decisions that I made that were not healthy decisions before I, before I learned, before I started to wake up and actually learn what to do. And a lot of them had to do with relationships. So I had kids. I got married at a very young age. I had a lot of responsibility there that I had values around that I wasn't willing to change until those kids grew up. Like I wanted to be a significant part of my children's life. So even when I got divorced the first time, I wanted my kids two weeks out of the month, right? So that meant I had to change the way that I was doing business for those two weeks. So for many years, I, I grew. Every year I've been in business, I've grown. But I did not grow as rapidly as I wanted to or as expansive as I wanted because I was really focused on doing those things with those kids until they got to until they got to be adults. And then once they got to be adults, we expanded rapidly because I didn't have to be with them on a, you know, so involved in their lives, so to speak. But that was very that was important. A, a lot of people find themselves in situations where they, especially when it comes to re relationships and children, many times we do things based on what we think is the right thing. And then we find out that we made a mistake later, but it actually has lifelong responsibility challenges for us, like children, right? Like those responsibilities don't ever really go away, but they go away on a day-to-day -day basis, 20 years from when you actually, you know, did the, did the act. So how do you want to be a dad or a mom, right? How is that, how is that actually important to you? It was very important to me. It was very, very important to me. But I was raised in a dysfunctional house when it came to relationships. I had no idea how to have relationships. And that was probably the largest part of the learning in my life outside of business was kind of really understanding all the dysfunctional stuff that I had been taught about relationships and really rewiring that so I didn't get involved in another one because I did it twice. I mean, I, I literally got into dysfunctional relationships twice because I didn't know how to pick a partner in life, right? I was picking them emotionally. I was picking them based on insecurities that I had that I didn't even know were there. And, you know, when you're doing something like starting a business and you're coming from the place that I started, you can only handle so much change at one time. So you pick things that are the most important at the time and you start working on them systematically until you, you know, I mean, eventually you change most of the things that you're going to change. But now the, the things that I deal with mostly now are where can I continue to grow? Like in different areas of things that I'm excited about and things that I want to do, 
in the world because now that now I've got the money to do it, I've got the time to do it. I'm not bogged down by relationships or by children or anything like that. So we're in full go mode with the company, you know, at, at, at 24 years. I mean, it's expanding more rapidly than it ever has. We make more money than we ever have. Uh, and we're branching out into new things on a consistent basis. What's your goal now? If for what? What? what let's what? say, let's, uh, we'll do for your business right now. What's your goal for your business? Well, I have a I have a goal that's private, but but the public goal currently right now is we're getting away from me being the main focus of the company. Mm-hmm. So I have a I have a business partner. Um, her name is Steph Tuss, and she's I've made her the CEO of the company. She's also a brilliant marketer, um, and she's a brilliant strategist. She started off as a student of mine, and we developed a relationship over the years, and both her and her husband uh, work for me. But what we're doing is we're taking the business so we don't get kind of stuck in the in the trap that like Tony Robbins got stuck in or Bob Proctor kind of got stuck in this trap also, where the product was only them. That's very difficult to turn around if you stay in that place too long. We want the product to be the systems and the strategies uh, itself, the business itself. What does the business do? So that I can walk away from that place or when it's time for me, if I decide to retire or if I die, the, the core of the company can continue to move forward with the right people. So that's the goal right now. The goal right now is to move away from me being the face of the company to life as now being the company and the strategies and the results that we do as, as business consultants actually stands on its own. So it's not personality driven so much, so sure. to speak. That makes sense. Um, it sounds so simple. I'm sure. I, actually, I'm, I'm going to rephrase that. I've been working on my language too. It's simple and easy and effortless, right? It's like yeah. it happened, right? Yeah. Um, I was going to say it's challenging. It's going to be difficult, but no, it's going to be nice and easy for you. I believe that. Um, I want, I'm sorry if I'm all over the place with the questions here, but no, you're fine. It's whatever's coming to my mind. What, what advice would you give to someone who just started their business? Um, let's say six months ago. And what, what's the best piece of business advice you give to someone just starting out? Know what you want. Mm-hmm. Know what you want. What the, the most astounding thing that, that I learned uh, right off the bat was how many people were in business that actually did not know what they wanted. They were doing what they thought that they could accomplish, right? Or what they thought that they could pull off or what they were supposed to do or what maybe even, I mean, there's people in business, they're in business because their parents told them that that's what they should be doing. They never actually made a decision for themselves. I find that every single thing in life gets easier once you know what you want and you give yourself permission to go after it. Number one, it's fun as hell, right? Because you wake up every day and you think to yourself, oh my God, I get to do this. This is not something I have to do. You know, when I was on the forklift, I'd wake up in the morning and I hated what I did. I wake up in the morning now and I love what I do because I get to do it. It's my choice. I've empowered myself to be able to do it. And then set goals for yourself that most importantly, you're going to stick to. We're big. We're really big on this idea because every other way that you approach this, I've never seen anybody make it work. There's always the shoulds, like you should do this, you should lose weight, you should stop drinking, you should work here, you should, you should, you should, you should. Do you want to? Do you want to? Who says you should, right? Uh, I mean, Tony Robbins used to say you should all over yourself, right? What do you want to do? So what we what we say is, let's, you determine what you want. Now, 
out of what you want, let's create a strategy for you to actually create what you want. However, what is it that you know you're willing to do no matter what? Because if I tell you, here, you got to do all these different things and you don't want to do them, you'll self-sabotage. What is it you're willing to stick to? What changes do you want to make in your life right now that you're actually willing to stick to? You can get to the other ones later. What are the ones that you're willing to stick to? Because if you pick something that you're not willing to stick to, all you do is struggle, you're miserable, and then you keep having to start over again and you can't figure out why you're not making any progress. And the truth is, let's just say what the truth is, you don't want to do it. That's the truth, right? We can make up all kinds of stories, but when it comes right down to it, you don't want to do it. So instead of dealing with that issue, why don't we just work on what you do want to do? Because the more confidence you build in what you do want to do, the more self-esteem you'll build, and the more you'll be able to address other issues in your life that you simply don't want to do right now. And people make extraordinary progress when it when you focus on it from that way. Mm, that's good advice. That's good advice. Um, so at the end of these interviews, I, I always ask my guests um, – a few questions, you know, kind of the same ones for every single guest. It's always interesting to see the different answers. Um, number one, really, it's an easy question. Uh, what's what's one book everyone should read? What's one book everybody should read? I'm going to give you two. Okay. Uh, one is Working with the Law by Raymond Hollywell. The other one is Trust by Alanya Van Zandt. What's Working with the Law about? Working with the Law is about how to understand universal law on a practical level and apply it in your life so it's not just people think it's a mumbo-jumbo spiritual idea, but how it actually practically unfolds in your life. It's probably one of the best books written on universal law that I've ever seen. I, it was a... It was uh, something Proctor turned me on to in the, in the mid-90s, and it became a staple for me my whole career. And I teach from it all the time. Um, what I like about it the most is the law of polarity, because the law of polarity states that you can't have a need or a desire for anything without it actually being here. So it doesn't all, you, you know, the, the first place that we create something is internally. If I build an image in my mind of something, the way to do it has to be here. That's the law. Okay. If I don't have money, the money has to be here, right? Whatever I don't have, I also do have. It's just that I'm only focused on one side of it. So I can't see the other side. The, uh, the first place that I saw that, which was really weird, was back in the early 90s, somebody gave me a copy of Think and Grow Rich and I didn't even understand it. I'm like, what the hell is this? Like, what is this guy talking about? I didn't get it because I had no frame of reference for it in my life. So it all seemed you know, like you were reading Greek or something. But after I had a breakthrough in the introduction, he talks about the sly disguises of opportunity. And he says that most people miss opportunity basically because they see it as something that it's not. They see it through their perception and their bias. So it doesn't look like an opportunity. And when I read that, I was like, holy shit, that's what I did. That's how I got off the forklift. I saw something that had been around me for two years in a different way. And it got me out. It was the door out. So that intrigued me. I just kept studying, studying, studying. Well, when I got to working with the law and I started to study the law of polarity as Raymond Hollywell was teaching, and I got to understand it much better. And of course, I had an amazing coach who was 
who was working with me on it within real life practicality, not just studying it intellectually. Proctor made me do the things that were necessary for me to have the experiences to show that those laws were real, not just something that's an intellectual um, uh, or, a, you know, just a mind study. It's not just an intellectual knowledge. You could apply every one of those laws in your life, technically, physically, based on how you make decisions and how you work with your business or anything else. So that's fantastic. And trust by Alanya Van Zandt. It's really about it's I'm like nobody's ever written a book like this. And I don't understand why it, the thing was not a bestseller, but it's the best book on trust that I've ever read. And she teaches something that is fundamentally missed by most people. And that is this. Very few of us are raised with any kind of idea of how to learn to trust ourselves and keep our word with ourselves. Therefore, we don't know how to trust other people. So we don't even know how to evaluate other people based on, should I trust this person or not? And one of the reasons for this is because you have to ask yourself a question. Like, you remember when you're a kid and your parents would say, don't talk to strangers, right? Okay. When did it become okay for you to start to talk to strangers and how was that information passed on? Because if you really think back, usually it was not done like proactively like, I'm going to teach you now how to evaluate people that you don't know so that you can determine whether they're people that you should be around. What they would say is, it's okay to talk to this person. They're nice. They're a nice person. And literally thousands of people all over the world that I've talked to about this will say the same damn thing over and over again, that that's exactly how that transition took place in their life. Mom and dad in some way said, oh, it's okay to talk to these other people you don't know because they're nice. So they internalize the idea that a nice person is someone that they can trust and nothing can be further from the truth because nice is not a value. It's just a way of being. Con men to serial killers are nice. Very dishonest, predatory people usually get close to people in a way that they're nice. So it's not something that should be used as an evaluation to trust anybody. So how should you? Based on values, right? What are, what are important values to you? What are the values that you're looking for in everybody else in your life, whether it's a, a, a spouse or a partner or a friend or a business associate or a teammate? What are those values? You have to learn what those values are, and then you have to learn to find out if other people have those values. Mm. Cool. Um, and then, of course, you have accountability and stuff, right? Like, Sure. Yeah, yeah. Do they actually do what they say they're going to do integrity? Yeah. So, got it. Um, cool. So the next question um what's the biggest re regret of your life what's the biggest regret that you have what is the biggest regret you know i'm not a regret person um but i will tell you one of the biggest learning uh things that i had and i don't regret it because it taught me a huge lesson and it was simply this when i was in business my fourth year i had a five million dollar embezzlement that I somebody that I partnered with took $5 million out of our company and left us with nothing. And the reason that that happened was because when I got the contract to sign, it was like a one page contract. And I thought to myself, I don't have to pay a lawyer 800 bucks to, to tell me what this is. And I was going off of the way that I viewed these people, which is like, these are great people. I've always wanted to work with these people. There were things in the contract that, that a lawyer would have pointed out to me to change that would have not put me in that position. Well, they still would have taken the $5 million, 
But I also lost my list to them at the same time, my marketing list. I couldn't market to anybody in my list because we we combined lists, and it specifically said that in the contract. And it, I just didn't think it was a big deal at the time. So it, that cost me five million. I literally had to start completely all over again from from scratch because I could not work off the list that I had built. It was one of the biggest lessons in business that I ever learned. Um, but it, like. I really don't have regrets because every single thing that I used to have regrets about, I've now learned from those things in such a way that it's so invaluable, the lessons that I learned. I wouldn't give up the pain that I went through to learn them. I mean, it's those things changed my life. All right. You got to tell me the story. What? How How did you react? What was it like? How, you woke up one morning and $5 million was out of the bank account. Like, how the hell did it? That's like- pretty much how it happened. I was furious. I was furious and scared at the same time. And um, after I worked through, you know, you're on the phone with different people. Is this true? How did this happen? What's going on? You're trying to figure all of that out. You're in a, you know, it's it's very disorienting because I had tax bills that were due, like the whole thing. And um, so I called the attorney, went and sat down with the attorney. He took all the information he looked into it a week later. I'm back with him again. And he said, yep. He said, you're absolutely right. They took the 5 million. Uh, you're completely in the right. You're not in any wrong doing in this. He said, if we sue them, you'll win. He said, but this is what you're up against. He said, it'll take you two years to get a judgment. It'll probably cost you $250,000 in legal fees and court costs to get that judgment. And you'll never see a dime of this money again. He said, I don't know. He literally said this to me. He goes, David, I don't know why I'm telling you this. He said, because I'm an attorney. I make money off of, you know, trying to do things for you. He said, but listen, everything that you've showed me, he's like, you know how to do this. He said, you're young. You've got energy. Go back and rebuild it. He said, you'll rebuild it 10 times faster than it took you to get where where you were because you know how to do it. He's like, I realize it sucks. He said, chalk it up to a major learning lesson in your life. He said, the more, he said, the longer you're in business, the more you'll value this lesson. He said, but I, he said, I'll take it to court if you want. He said, but I like the best advice that I can give you is to drop it, drop all the anger and the resentment and go out there and put all that energy into rebuilding it. And I went home and I thought about it and I talked to my wife about it and I realized he was right. So I'm like, I'm not going to lose. I'm not going to let this become an excuse for me not to succeed. So I I dropped it and I just went out and I completely rebuilt the business. And I had it all back within a year. It took a year, but I had it all back within a year. That's awesome. Talk about perspective, right? You were a forklift driver. How many years later was that? I was a forklift. Well, so from like, uh, what? From 15, 16 years old until I was about 20, I worked at McDonald's. Uh, At the end of that, I had three jobs. I was an unloader at UPS. I used to work at UPS from 10 o'clock at night till two in the morning. I would open up McDonald's at about 5 a.m., work till 11. Uh, From there, I would go work at a warehouse at 63rd and Central in Chicago. And I worked there for about four hours in the afternoon. I would go home and sleep until about nine o'clock, get up and go to work at UPS. So that was my routine. From there, I went in the Army. I didn't stay there long because of some extenuating circumstances that I found myself in. Um, but I was but I was active in there for about a year. Then I decided I didn't want to, I made a mistake. I didn't want to go down that road. So I came back home. I got a job working for Metropolitan Life Insurance for two years. 
right at the right in the middle of that, we went through the savings and loan crisis at the end of the eighties. I lost all the policies that I had written, and so I went from making a decent income where we could take care of ourselves to be completely broke again because nobody was buying life insurance. Everybody was canceling their policies. I wasn't able to build a book of business to sustain through a downtime. So then I went and the only job I could find was on the forklift. So I did that for two years before I finally got that turned around. Yeah. So when did you lose the 5 million? How from when you, from you were at the forklift driving, like, like 10 years, 10 years. Yeah. So I was, I, I got off the forklift in 1993 the the ten the 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 five million I'm sorry uh, happened in two thousand four. Yeah, so like it was about ten years later. Yeah, ten years later, after figuring changing your attitude, you had five million to lose. Yeah, you know, like like put that in perspective to someone who goes to school for four, gets their masters, and so like right. Imagine what you can do in in a natural like eight to ten years. Like perspective. I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? And then on top of it, I mean, the fact that you the next year you, you got it all back. Yeah. And um, I, I'm also interested. Did you ever get to talk to that partner? Yeah, I had a conversation okay. with him. Yeah, I had a conversation with him. I'm not I'm, I, I, I'm not able to tell you what happened uh, because of the, we decided to disclose it based on an agreement with them. Um but basically, the reason that they did it was because somebody stole a bunch of money from them, and they were using that money to pay that off and get themselves out of trouble. Got it. Got it. How uh, quickly did you learn that? Like, because in my mind, I'm like, I wake up, my business partner just took five million from me. I'd be like on the phone, like trying to scream and yell at them, and you know, be furious and stuff. Did that ever happen while you like in that period of time? That never. Not that. That never actually. There was no screaming and yelling. The, you just called your lawyer right away, and yeah. Well, once once I was certain what happened happened because there were three of us that were in business together. Yeah, and the the way that it worked was we had a central office that collected the money credit cards did all the business all that stuff well when i needed money moved out of our joint account into my account we would just call up and say we transfer this much money over and one day i called and they go you got to talk to so and so i said what are you what are you talking about just put this much money in my account no you got to talk to so and so and i got on the phone with so and so and they go there's no money i'm like what are you talking about there's no money there's no money. He said, I can't get into it right now, but I'll tell you about it later. So then I got on the phone with the other business partner and I'm like, and they didn't know either. I was the first one to find out. Jeez. So we went through, found out what happened, but yeah, that's a, yeah, but that's how it happened. That's how it went down. Interesting. Yeah, I was just so curious. And they okay. did get to the point where they weren't answering any phone. Like, I mean, it I was like, yeah, yeah, they just completely, they stopped answering emails. They stopped answering phone calls. It, it did go down that route. Gotcha. Yeah, I was. Just, I'm like, I just, not many people are going through that, you know. Like, it's, it's, right. it's interesting. Um, all right, uh, this is gonna be the the last question, and then uh, we'll get into where people can go follow you and, and okay, learn more. So, last one, you get to go back in time. You can go back in time at any age, right? You can go to any age that you want to go back to. You get to go back as, as yourself now and go talk to your younger self. But you only get three sentences, and then you disappear. What are those three sentences? And I always leave it up to the guests if they want to explain why they chose those three sentences. That's a good one. I've never had this question before. You get to go back in time at any point in time and tell my younger self three sentences. 
what age would you go back to and what were the three what are the three sentences what age would i go back to i would probably go back to the age of 13 when i was 13 years old uh one of the scariest points of my life was when my parents got divorced we ended up with my mom and my mom was not doing well because of it um I probably would say something like, everything is going to turn out fine, but learn to be responsible. That's probably what I would tell myself. Mm -hmm. You have any two more sentences out of that? Two more sentences out of it? I wouldn't want to say too much. Um, okay. Very interesting. This is the first time I've had someone only come up with one sentence. Normally they're rambling on paragraphs and I have to cut them and pull them in. See, because anytime I think to myself about going back and doing something like this, I think to myself, would I have gone down the same road or would I set myself up to be like a responsible person working for somebody else for the rest of my life? Like, how would I have viewed that at a young age? It gets kind of tricky, right? Sure. So I was always entrepreneurial. I just didn't recognize that in myself and nobody else did either. Um, no, I think I would leave it there. I, I really do think I, I would leave it there. Um, I think that I would I think I would just assure myself that everything's going to be okay. I wouldn't want to tell myself too much, but I would definitely say be responsible because I had a major issue with that as a kid. You know, I was running. I was running, running, running away from everything. I did not know. I had nobody, especially a male figure in my life at that age, teaching me responsibility. Mm -hmm. So I would it would I I don't think it would have if interrupted too many things and I think that it would have made some very difficult situations easier if I had been more responsible if I had been more mature I was really immature interesting cool well Dave man this is awesome I mean I I have questions about your background I didn't get to ask but like yeah this is this is really great I, I hope that um well if you're still listening you you stuck around for about 50 minutes almost an hour so thank you for that yeah appreciate it yep. uh where can people go follow you because I'm sure you've got knowledge um out there for free on social and well, they can go to our podcast right the successful mind podcast look up David Nagel the successful mind podcast. We do a tremendous amount of teaching on there for free. Like there's there's no charge. So that's a really great place for them to learn more without having any kind of obligation to really kind of see if that's something that's in their path. Or they can go to our website, davidnagel.com. Awesome. Beautiful, guys. Go check that out. Leave him a review and leave me one too so we can get us up in the ranks and uh, get, more, get this awesome. information out to more people. And thank you so much for uh, being on here uh, one last time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me and have a great day. Yeah, you too. Thanks. All right. Bye now. Bye.